0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. So those who are going to little worship can be dismissed at this time. Thank uh, T. Mac and Megan Howard. Thank you all uh, for, for teaching our kids yeah. Um, so I have this uh, Peanuts cartoon that's framed in my office. Some of y'all have been in there and have seen it, read it, um, or maybe seen this around. I'm not sure if y'all can get a shot of this, the camera folk. Um, try to hold it there so y'all can see it. Um. So in this uh, Peanuts cartoon, there's, there's Lucy and Linus, who are brothers and sisters, right? And, and Lucy's, they're looking out the window, and I'm watching the rain just pouring down. And Lucy says to Linus, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? And to that Luna, Linus, the, you know, he's the, the Peanuts theologian, he says, um, it'll never do that. Because in the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that it it would never happen again, and the sign of the promise is the rainbow. To that, Lucy said, you've taken a great load off my mind. And Linus concluded, sound theology has a way of doing that. Sound theology has a way of doing that. I I love this cartoon, and I have it framed in the office because it's a reminder to me that good theology is, isn't about knowing more than somebody else, that, that good theology is only good to the degree that it affects our lives, uh, that it reminds us of what is true and good and, and beautiful. Um, if we don't see that, then we're missing it. And, and so this, this morning, this is important because, y- y'all know this, as we go through life, we experience things in life that, that make us ask a lot of questions, that cause us to be angry, that causes us to be confused, that, that leave us saying, like, okay, like, what's the deal with this, God? And um, this morning, we, we need God to come into some of those questions and to, to take a great load off of our mind, to make us make sense of those things. And this morning, we come to maybe one of the biggest problems, the biggest questions that we, we see. You know, if, even our kids say these things. It, it's the question of, why do bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. Um, I don't know if you've ever found yourself asking that. Well, this morning, we need God to come and teach us how to process through that question. And in the process, hopefully, He will take a great load off of our minds. Um, so with all that said, let's, let's read God's Word in Malachi. Uh, then we'll pray, and we'll dive in. This is Malachi I started with chapter 2, verse 17, we'll go through 3-5, so this is God's Word. Um, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied the Lord? Well, by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And refine them like gold and and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in their wages, the widow the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. God's Word. Let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, may you just teach us from your Word this morning. Um, forgive the one who teaches his sins, uh, for they are many. Uh, Lord, teach us how to process through these questions. We ask this in Christ. Amen. Um, two points this morning, just kind of as we walk, walk through this passage. The first point is our question. You know, the questions that we answer God, and then second, we get God's answer, how He responds. Um, our question, God's answer. Um, I want to kind of start kind of philosophically, si- Philosophical. Um, the British thinker Theo Hobson said, you know you're having a major culture shift, like you're in the middle of a major shift in culture when the following happens, he says, when that which was repudiated, uh, when that must be celebrated, and and when that which used to be celebrated is now repudiated, you know you're in the middle of a shift, and then to make things, uh, another layer to that, then those who will not celebrate this new thing themselves are repudiated, if that makes sense. Um, they are canceled if they don't celebrate this new thing that we're supposed to celebrate. And you could very easily argue that with that definition, we are in the middle of a huge culture shift in our world today, right? Things that long ago, m- most, most people would call evil, we're now calling good, and we're now calling good evil. Um, and those who don't call those things good, um, well, you're canceled. Um, major, major shift in culture. But we can take that same definition and we can tweak it just a little bit, and find that the same thing can happen in the lives of believers. But this isn't just this isn't a culture shift. This is something far more profound. We can have a shift in our soul, and it's what we see in our passage. If you you know if you're visiting with us this morning, just real quick, uh, the book of Malachi we're saying is a book to people who are lost in the middle, uh, who have you know they've lived enough life to know that you know it hasn't it hasn't panned out how they thought. They're a little disillusioned, they're jaded, they're cynical, maybe a little bitter. Um, things aren't as good as they thought they would be. And so it's easy to get to a place where, where the cynicism and where the world, the flesh, and the devil have so like, like, robbed the joy of our salvation and have so just muddied the wonder that we used to have at one point about God and the God of creation and, and the awe that we have of Him that we can get to the point that instead of looking to God as our, the strength of our heart and like He is our portion forever, cynicism, the world, the flesh, and the devil can cause us, instead of looking to God, to kind of start looking out at each other to the point that as we, 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 we watch the world, we get to where we, maybe we're tempted to start calling evil good and good evil. You know, when, when we forget the awesomeness of God, we, we just become cavalier. You know, Baptists, our Baptist friends might call this backsliding. Uh, but before you think, like, okay, like, I would never do that. I, I, like, I would, that would never happen to me. Listen, look at what Israel said in verse 17. They got to the point to where they were asking God. It's like, hey, look, it seems like, what, is everyone who does evil good? Sure seems like it. They're good in your sight. Are you delighting in them? And like, we, we know the truth ever since we were kids, right? We, we know the truth that, we know that the shady business person will at the end of the day either be fired or in a lawsuit or in jail. Like, like we know that. And yet, in the meantime, we, we can watch out and we can see people lie, cheat, and steal, and instead of getting caught, they keep getting rich. Instead of getting caught, they keep getting new accounts. Uh, they, they're, they're gaining respect around town. And, and over time, as we see that, look, this doesn't just happen like, you know, like, like, not like we're going to go out tomorrow and do this, but like over time. This is, this is stuff that happens over time when you're lost in the middle. Um, we may be tempted to think, you know what, maybe the morals are relative, you know? Or, or we get to the point to where we say, you know, everyone else is doing it. <laughs> I might, maybe I'll start dabbling in just a little bit. And, and, and areas that years ago we wouldn't have even imagined that we, we, would, we would do. Eh, maybe, we'll, we kinda, maybe we'll think about it. You know, the person who's sleeping around just looks like they're having a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, we get to the point where, we're like, heck with all this killing of sin stuff. Like, I'm trying to follow Christ and I'm, just in, I'm in misery. I want to have fun too. Or we get to the point to where we drift so that we say, you know what, maybe maybe that really doesn't bother God as much as we thought. You know, maybe God really just wants me to be happy. And well, you know what, that particular sin, that makes me happy. I think God's for that. Um, and of course, you know, our culture today, we've, a lot of people have kind of done, done this. This is why Malachi is such a contemporary book. And this could play out in, in a, a million different ways, right? It's from... You know, modesty, you know, to how we dress, to how we handle our money. Well, all my friends are doing this, and all my friends wear this type of prom dress or this type of thing, or all my other friends are investing their money this way. Maybe I can do that. Um, it, It works out in so many ways, you know, alcohol use, our work. There's so many areas that that at some point we will be tempted to join our world in calling good something that God calls evil. Um, or the question can come at it from another side. You know, we can come at this from the more self-righteous angle, and this is the me in, in high school with my little WWJD bracelet, and I'm wondering why, like, all the people who are breaking team training rules, they get to start. And, you know, us good people, we, maybe we don't, you know. Um, why is that person succeeding? And I like we we've heard our kids say this right. It's that gnawing question of like, where is your justice, God? This is the problem that that bothered Asaph in Psalm seventy three, which Joseph read, And, and it's it's probably bothered us all. It's it's this. It's God. Like I like I've been trying to live for you. Like I'm I'm really seeking to kill sin. I've been faithful to my spouse. I've tried to treat others as more important than myself. I haven't fudged on my tax numbers. Uh, you know, I've tried to take the high road, and all I have to show for it is just the world has treated me like a doormat. I have very little to show for it. <laughs> all the while, Richie Rich over there is, you know, he has no regard for you. He takes advantage of people. He lies. He cheats. And yet his life, at least as far as from what I can see, It seems to be going way better than mine. I mean, what's the deal, God? And we think this, right? At different times. Like, I I thought we had this kind of thing, God, where, you know, I I do some things, you bless me. Or, you know, you kept your head down and you put in the extra time at work and all of your labors, you helped the company succeed. And yet, when it came time for the raise and for the promotions, you were passed over for that smooth-talking, attention-seeking person, and, and you think that you deserve that raise. You deserve that promotion, not them. <laughs> or, or what about physical or, or mental health? You know, a lot of, you know, sometimes we can look at and like that non-believer. I mean, they're like the picture of health, you know. They don't seem to have a care in the world, and yet you, who, who've tried to, to live for the Lord, yet you find yourself wrestling with the depression... Um, you, you find yourself diagnosed with cancer, and, and you really think, you know, you think, is this how you treat your people, God? Maybe you're not that good. And, and so, have y'all ever thought any of this, or am I the only one? You know, um, it, it's not that it's wrong to ask those things. I mean, God welcomes her pleas. In fact, as we saw I mean, there's an entire psalm written about this very frustration, It's like, why do all the wicked seem to have it going on while I'm sitting here suffering? Where's your justice, God? Well, God answers those questions, (laughs) and in doing so, he gives us a a reality check, which is our our second point. How do we process this? You know, before we even get to what God specifically says in our passage, we've got to first see this, that it's so crucial to remember, y'all, that what God considers blessing and what our world considers a blessing aren't always the same. And and I don't know about you, but I can look out and see other people's nice things and their good-looking spouse and their well-manicured yard. And I'm like, why do I win yard of the month, right? Um, Well, there's a lot of reasons why I don't (laughs) don't win yard of the month. Um, You know, they have kids that grow up to be uber, uber successful, and and we think, you know, we kind of want what they have. You know, that's what we think success is. Maybe that's the good life. And, and yet, what about their souls? I mean, really, like, could it be that could it be that you could gain the whole world, that you could have all these things and yet forfeit your soul? And, and in, in the day-to-day grind of following Christ, just the mundane things of life, it's easy to forget the difference between True blessings of God that make us happy and holy in Jesus, and what's called just vanity or vainglory. God's not really involved in, in that, that part. The difference between what God is truly about and what ultimately Solomon says is worthless. Could it be that at the end of the day, you know, all, all, most all that we have sought after and longed for. Thought of having as as having it really together, really being blessed, is really just worthless. That a lot of the stuff that we think, man, God, you are so blessing them, it's really just chasing after the wind, that all that prosperity that we've interpreted as blessing was actually more of a curse. And we've got to see this rightly. You know, we've got to see that like you can have all the money, all the, the homes, all the friends, you you can have all the stuff. And yet, not know Jesus, or not know your need of Jesus. Not know the joy of being called beloved by God, and really, what do you have? You don't have really anything at the end of the day. So we've got to say, like, that's the blessed life. And so we've got to begin by, by letting God, like if God is God, we've got to begin by letting God define what is a blessing and what is not. What is the good life and what is not? And so it, it's, it's knowing and being known by God. All right, so that's kind of, we've got to have that at the forefront before we get to what God says. So now to the people wondering, all right, when is God going to come and like get, like just dropkick all these evil people? Give them what they deserve. Well, God says, be careful what you wish for because uh, I, I am coming, uh, but you may not like it. Because not only am I coming to judge the people that you think I need to judge, but I'm also coming to judge you. Verse 1 tells us how it's this prophecy about John the Baptist and Jesus. Um, This is kind of prophetic language, but back in the day, if a king was going to come to town, like the king just couldn't just show up because all the people would be embarrassed and it would just be a bad thing. His whole entourage probably couldn't make it, so he would send before him this messenger. Who would go and let the people know? Hey, the king's coming! You got to get ready for the king. You know, make sure your town's prepared, the way is prepared, and so they would literally prepare the way. Which back then, preparing the way means like make the highway good. And so, if there were trees in the way or there was ruts, you know, they would come and make sure that it was smooth so that the king could come. Well, in the Gospels, we see that what Malachi recorded here, like you know, almost 500 years before Christ came was fulfilled by John the Baptist. John the Baptist showing up before Jesus, preparing people for the king. And how did he prepare them? By calling them to repentance, getting them ready to meet the king. Repentance is how our hearts are primed to see the beauty of of Jesus. And verse 2 is a wake-up call to the self-righteous. He says, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Um, Two quick things here. Uh, first, Hebrews tells us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living, the living God. That we forget that, that God is holy, 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 and we are so not that. Um, and so if we're thinking that God is going to treat us better because we've done more and we've tried harder and we've just tried to be really good people, then uh, we're in for a rude awakening. Because if that's what you think, you are not prepared you know, verse 5, God gives this list of very particular things that he's going to judge against. And he, he's doing this for a reason, to kind of pro- probe our hearts. But it's easy to read this, and at first glance, we read this list, and we're like, sorcery? <laughs> you know, like, we, don't, we didn't go to Hogwarts, you know, like, we just not like, God, lay it on them. Tell them sorcerers what to do. Um, but we got to see that, that this was written to the Levites. Like this, this passage isn't written to people who are like super into death metal and like I don't know, do these weird voodoo things, right? Like this is to the leaders of the church. These are to the people that like to like wear the ties and they try to dress up real nice. This is for religious people because it's very easy for religious people to be blind to their own sin, and so God warns of judgment in these areas, not because he's mean, but it's to prompt us to explore our own hearts. For us to ask the question, so you think you're good, huh? Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about why you think you're better than other people. Um, so that we can uncover ugliness that we didn't know was there. So that he could, not, not to, we're already condemned, but he does this to heal us. And so the reality is like, look, I, I know that most of you probably don't know any magical spells. And, and hopefully y'all don't have a voodoo doll at home that y'all like, I don't know, do, I don't know, do things with. Okay. Um, but, we're all, we all practice sorcery. Um, one scholar said this, in its essence, sorcery is attempting to manipulate supernatural powers to serve our own ends. In, in other words, it, you know, when we go to church, when we do religious things, in the hopes that it will cause God to, I don't know, help our lives to run smoothly, we're practicing sorcery. When when we use God as a vending machine, when we see God as this cosmic Santa Claus whose job it is to solve all of our problems and to give us the desires of our heart, um, that's sorcery. Y'all, if we're honest, you know, many times the sum and substance of most of our prayers are something like this. It's like, Lord, help me to get my done work quickly this week. Help all those people that give me, you know, problems. Help them just to kind (laughs) of just go away and, and help me to have a good day. All right. And I mean, we would call that, you've got a prayer life, man. You're praying. But the Bible calls that sorcery. Um, and now notice the difference in praying something like this, which is kind of a more God-centered prayer. It's, Lord, help me to, de- to depend on you through the hard that you bring to my life today. Lord, Lord, help me to, to see my need and to rejoice in you more, Just period. And so In Dugid said... It's easy to treat God as if his chief end were to glorify us. As if his chief end were to serve us rather than vice versa. And so it's very possible that what we think of as being super spiritual people, they're really just really good at practicing sorcery. Um, Bending God to us instead of us bending to God. Uh, and, And what can be said of the others? I mean, let's be honest, like we've all committed adultery at least in our, head, our our hearts, right? In our thought life, like we've all bent the truth in some way to make ourselves look a little better than we probably are. And how are we treating our employees? You know, most people would call you a good manager if you underpay your if you are able to underpay your employees. They're working more, you're paying them less. You you may get a raise for that. Um, well, the gods ask God asks, are you taking advantage of them? Are you paying them what they're worth? And then this whole idea of caring for the oppressed, uh, the sojourner. I, look, I hate that these words have become so politicized today. But like, irregardless of your political persuasion, those who have been saved by Christ respond by having a heart for the sojourner, for the refugee, because spiritually that's who we were before Christ. And so, yeah, not to get political, but how does God's comm- like, command <laughs> regarding outsiders... Regarding the refugee, how, how does that inform our personal view of the border crisis? You know, like, like Fox News, CNN, like, that's not going to give you a biblical perspective of immigration or of the refugee. Um, how, does that def- how, how does that inform our personal view of that? Or what about all the times we fear man more than we fear God? Um, that we care more about what our friends think or what our spouse thinks um, what other people think about us than, than what God thinks. I mean like in light of all this we're starting to see like <laughs> who are we to say we're better than anyone. I mean God's word lays us bare and leads us with this glaring reality that, that we aren't nearly as good as we thought. And like, like, We're not even really qualified to ask the question why do Why do bad things happen to good people? Because we're like, we're just not that good. You know, that question, that's only been true one time in all of human history. It was Jesus Christ, the only truly good person. And he had the ultimate bad happen to him on the cross, and that was done for you, like for us, while we were still sinners. Which brings us to our second thing here, um, if we're stand who can stand right if we're standing on our own then we have no standing and that's why the gospel is the most beautiful news this is why people die for this message it's because jesus came we can't stand on our own so jesus came to stand in our place before the lord on the cross god's justice was served on jesus instead of us And so now we can stand before God, and when we stand before God, we say, look, I I got nothing, I'll be honest, I I got nothing. But my only stance is is, is nothing but the, I've got Jesus' blood, nothing but his blood. But then we, we find here, not only does Jesus enable us sinners to stand before God, but he actually cleanses our sin. Ephesians 5 says, Jesus died to cleanse his people so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. That's what verses 2 and 3 are about. Let me read it. So he says, For he is like a refiner's fire or like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner, a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold or silver. The question, why do hard things happen to God's people? Why, 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 why am I going through this suffering? Well, this, this may be why right here. God gives us two beautiful word pictures of, of how he, he deals with our sin. Now, now, we've got to see that to a non-believer, this is terrifying, this, this whole concept of purifying and cleansing. But to a believer, this is beautiful. So first, um, you know, they didn't have what is it, OxyClean. They didn't have OxyClean back then. They didn't have Shout stain remover. Uh, back then, uh, what they did when they wanted to clean something, they just ran water through vegetable ash. And they produced, somehow in the end, it it came out to this very rudimentary cleaner they called, quote, Fuller's Soap. And so when you read of Fuller's Soap in the Bible, it's nothing magical or super spiritual about this. That's just, like, just insert your favorite stain remover, okay? That's essentially what Fuller's Soap was then. Um, So our our dog... um, we're talking about getting a second dog this week. Can you all imagine that? Like, we went from zero dogs, now we're going to have all the dogs. Um, and it was like, our dog can never come in the house, to now our dog basically lives in the house. Um, so our, our dog's stone is it, essentially like the, the human version of a mop, okay? And it's like, not because he cleans anything, Good night. no. It, it's because um, whenever he comes inside, he brings basically half of the backyard in with him. You know, it's all just... He has all the dirt, which doesn't bode real well for our... I don't know why, we we have all light-colored rugs in our entire house. And uh, every single time he comes in, there's a problem. And um, <laughs> watching Annie lay siege to those stains um, is a visual reminder to me of how Jesus lays siege to our stains, to our sin. Um, you know, Jesus applies fuller soap. And and he scrubs and cleanses, like, not, not like all things, but like our very spots, our very points of deepest shame and bondage. Like, like he's on it. And, and so, maybe this could be a good little exercise. The next time somebody in your house spills something on your carpet or your, whatever, your chair, and you got to get out the stain remover and you got to try to figure out how to clean it, let that be just a a picture of how Jesus deals with our sin. Like He's on it. He's getting that stain out. He's applying the cleaner. He's cleaning it out. But He doesn't just cleanse us. He also refines us. And again, to a non-believer, this is like the scariest thing ever, this whole concept of fire and burning. But as a believer, I love the detail in verse 3 that He will sit as a refiner which means sanctification or, or the process of God making us more like him and killing off of sin, uh, that process uh, it isn't, it isn't like a crock pot, you know, where God just kind of loads up the stuff, turns up the heat, and just kind of walks away for a while. Uh, no, we find here that, that he, he sits, that he's present. And he uses this picture of a refiner because apparently, and I didn't know this, apparently refining silver requires like, intricate attention. Uh, Because if you step away from it too long, it's ruined. Um, Once you begin like you are locked in on that, on that piece of silver. Because too little heat and the dross never burns off too much heat and the silver can actually lose its luster. It 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 won't shine like it, it could. It just it just it just has to be just right. And so in other words we're seeing that that God is is intimately involved in shaping you. Which means he's sitting here through all the good, the bad, the ugly that come into our lives. The pain, the suffering, all these moments where we're like, why does that person get all the good things and I'm suffering, God? What is the deal with that? We see here that all, that all these things come through his good and gracious hands first and, and we don't always understand what he's going on but he puts just enough trial and just enough hardship to wean us from the world, to, to make us more like him I mean, because he's the perfect father. And again, it, 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 it hurts. It hurts to be burned away. But the refiner knows that the process is complete when all the dross is gone, and he can look down in this, uh, into the silver and he can see his reflection back. And so y'all, that's the goal. And that's the blessing. That's the win. It's not to be rich. Though if you're rich, great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not to have the most successful kids. The goal isn't even to be cancer-free. No, the goal is to be like your Redeemer, Jesus. And so Jesus came so that we could not only stand before God, but so that we could know the embrace of God. And now, though justice was served on the cross, the Bible also tells us that one day Jesus is coming again. And Martin Luther famously said, look, the only days that matter is this day <laughs> and that day. Um, he will come again to render final justice. But we know here that if you're in Christ, like, you don't have to worry about that day. Like You have nothing to fear. If anything, you can actually look forward to it. But in the meantime, the question is, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to what Jesus has done for us? Well, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament people responded to God's grace and mercy by bringing sacrifices of goats and lambs and all kinds of livestock, right? We don't do that today, thankfully, right? So how do we respond to what Jesus has done for us? Um, How do we respond to the fact that in Jesus we have God's smile, and that even the hard things that come into our life come from His love, loving hand? Well, we respond by bringing ourselves. Like ourselves, we are the sacrifice. We sacrifice our everything at the altar. Or as Paul tells us in Romans, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, may that, may your word just set our mind at ease, uh, convict us, teach us that, uh, well, first, we're, we're just not as good as we thought. Um. But also to know that everything that happens comes through your good, sovereign, loving hands for us. Um, Lord, remind us of that. And may that be sweet to us, even in the midst of, of pain and suffering. Lord, give us the hope of your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.